surveys seem to be a constant in life at the moment, uh, like the old quote about the only certainties being death and taxes. It seems that everyone and their dog would like you to just fill in this quick survey or answer a short series of questions. As enablers of change, surveys are an important part of our toolkit. So just what do we need to know when designing a survey? How can we be sure we'll collect the data we need? Today, we'll explore how to design a decent survey. There's a few key steps to designing a decent survey. The first step is to make sure we're clear about the survey context and purpose. This means we need to be really clear about the purpose of the survey, who it's for, and what we're looking for in the results. The second step is to determine the target population and sample size for the survey. This is being able to articulate who we're surveying by being able to describe what the target population we're trying to survey actually looks like and how many responses we want. The third step is to decide the questions and do a pretest, and only then can we finally distribute the survey. Of course, the actual final two steps are analysing the results and then presenting the findings to whoever wanted the survey in the first place. But today, we're focusing on just the first three steps. It's worth noting at this point that designing the questions is actually step three. I don't know about you, John, but it's a little bit like designing an extension program. We tend to jump to the fun part, running the extension activities, or in this case, designing the survey questions, without considering the first two steps, which are critical to the survey actually being useful. So let's go into these steps in a bit more detail. The first step is to be clear about the survey context and its purpose. Ideally, we'll have spent time designing our project and we'll have an evaluation framework developed, both which we've covered in earlier episodes. This means we'll know what data we're looking for and who the survey is for. Sometimes though, we're called in to help to, to design a survey and this preparatory work hasn't been done. Well, we suggest sitting down and working through this with the project team or whoever has asked for the survey to get all the background we can before we head to the next step. The second step is to determine the target population and the sample size for the survey. This is where we want to be able to describe the target population we're trying to survey. Are we able to contact all of the population or will we need to try and representatively sample the population? At this point, we need to ask how accurate we want the survey to be. The more people we survey, the more representative the data we collect will be. But how much money and time do we have? If we think about a census type survey, uh, like the governments do in Australia and New Zealand, every few years, um, then we'll need lots of time and other resources to get to 100% of the population or as close to that as possible. But in our work, that's seldom possible. Do you have the contact details for 100% of the population? Probably not. So we need to figure out how to get a representative sample. To help work out the number of surveys we need, there's a handy sample size calculator on the SurveyMonkey website. We just need to select our population size, the desired confidence level, and the margin of error we're willing to accept. And the clever monkeys calculate the required sample size. As an example, if our population size is 220 growers, 
and we want 95% confidence that our sample represents the overall population, and we're willing to accept a margin of error of 10%, then the sample size required is 68. However, if we were able to get 100 responses, the margin of error would drop to 7%. To get down to 5%, we'd need 141 responses. The last thing we need to consider for this step is how we're going to administer the survey. Uh, there's a few different ways uh, we can do this. We can survey via the web and email. Uh, we can do a mail survey, a phone survey, or we could even survey face-to-face. -face. The response rates are different depending on the way in which we do the survey. Typically, online and email surveys have low response rates, maybe 5 to 15%, depending on the population we're surveying. This may not be a problem, it just means that we might need lots more contacts to get the numbers of surveys that we need for the representativeness we're aiming for. Male surveys can also have low response rates, anything from 10 to 30%. Phone surveys are better, and of course, face-to-face -face response rates can be higher again, uh, but time and resources are generally a constraint. As a rule of thumb, based on our and others' experience, you can conduct phone surveys with farmers, but it's better to use the other survey options for rural professionals like vets and agribusiness um, suppliers. All of this discussion is important because of the non-responder bias. That's the difference between those who complete our survey compared to those who don't. There will always be some bias, and hey, it's just the fun part of working with humans. But we can figure out how big that bias is by checking with some of the non-responders. In practice, this means doing things such as phoning a small sample of people who did not respond to an email or mail survey and doing the survey with them to determine whether they are very different from those who did respond. Another way of checking this could be to compare the demographics of responders with the demographics of the population as a whole, if this is available. For example, if the average age of survey respondents is 32 and the average age of the population as a whole is 51, then you could deduce that, that you have a biased sample. As a result, we mightn't be discovering the true needs of older members of the population. It's also worth mentioning incentives at this point. Offering an incentive to fill out a survey could make a difference. Uh, we aren't going to go into this now, but we'll do an episode on this in the future, uh, as there's some great research out there exploring incentives for surveys. At this point, we think it's important to consider whether we can offer an incentive to complete the survey. And at last, Denise, the final step is to start designing the questions. Finally, the bit we were wanting to get our teeth into. When we get to this part of designing a survey, because we've been through the first two steps, we'll know what we want to ask. We'll look at the change we were aiming for and our evaluation framework. If we've been aiming for CASA change, that's knowledge, attitude, skills, and aspirational change, we won't ask questions about practice change. However, if the outcome for our project was practice change, then we'll ask specific questions about this as well. Finally, we need to do a pre-test of the survey with some friendly respondents. This tests whether the questions make sense to them. And secondly, it allows us to test the analysis of the data collected from these questions. Please don't forget this important step. 
There's a few other useful rules of thumb uh, when designing a survey. Here's a few that we think are worth considering. Don't ask too many questions. Use the minimum possible number of questions we need to collect the information required. Our rule of thumb is to keep to less than 10 questions. Decide whether the survey can be anonymous. Do we really need to track people's response through a project? And if yes, then we might need to ask for names or get them to nominate a code word that they use for subsequent surveys. And if we do need to collect names, we'll ask for this at the end of the survey and explain why we need this. Usually we don't need to know this, so we make this on the survey anonymous. Next, use preset answers where possible, like having a list of multi-choice responses, although we'll always add the option for respondents to provide their own answer if they want to. But make it as quick and easy as possible for someone to fill in the survey. Think about the scales to use. We've found that people tend to use either a one to five or a one to 10 scale for responses. Either will work, although scales of one to 10 provide a greater sensitivity of responses. But then a scale of one to five could be easier for respondents to fill in. If there's no hard or fast rule, then consistency is the key here. And demographics. When it comes to demographics, be absolutely ruthless about what's really needed. Often these questions are added into surveys without a lot of thought about how they will be used. Only ask a question if the answer will be used. We think that adding a final open-ended question at the end of a survey, inviting respondents to add anything else they'd like to tell us is really helpful. Although many respondents won't have anything else to add, Sometimes the answers to that question can contain some useful information that can help inform the next survey or provide a prompt to follow up on a particular aspect of the project in more detail. And don't forget a key part of the survey is the introduction to the survey, a little preamble that explains what we're doing and why and outlines whether it's anonymous or not. This is important. Use your manners and be polite. And finally, if we could only ask one question for the survey, what would that question be? This is a really useful exercise to do as it gets to the heart of what we're designing the survey for. So designing a decent survey involves being clear about the survey context and purpose, defining the target population and sample size, then deciding on the questions and conducting a pretest. Following this process, means we'll have a great survey to distribute and data that we can confidently analyze to obtain the information that we need. To finish, we want to say thanks to Jeff Coots, as we've been heavily influenced by a webinar he did with John a few years ago uh, on designing effective surveys in three easy steps. Now, Jeff is a bit of a legend and has a huge amount of knowledge that we've drawn on for this episode. So thank you so much, Jeff. As always, we don't want this just to be a one-way conversation. So please add any survey tips you have below the blog post. We really enjoy reading and responding to your comments. Thanks to those who take the time to respond with their thoughts and ideas. Thanks for joining us on this Enablers of Change episode. Remember to subscribe if you'd like to know when new episodes are available um, and send us an email or use the comment section below the blog post if you have a topic you'd like us to explore in the future.